leading us, Richard. Never going to think of a video screen the same way again. That's that's a good thing. <laughs> I, um, we are, as I said this morning, really blessed to have uh, Jeremy with us. Um, as a wider movement in the CRC, our church sits, and uh, I, was, I was really blessed by uh, the lesson there about having the water, having people around us. You know, we're, we're not just a separate uh, entity that just meet here, but we're part of a bigger family uh, and people that um, come and speak to us and encourage us. And uh, we've always been encouraged by Jeremy um, coming. And uh, if you didn't know, part of our mission giving goes to supporting Jeremy in his travels uh, as he does missionary work on behalf of the CRC. And uh, he's actually going to I think begin with a, a few of those stories. So I invite uh, Jeremy up and to come share with us. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Sam. Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. And um, yeah, before I just share the word that the Lord's put on my heart for, for this morning, I just give a little bit of a brief overview of a few missions trips and some things that I'm involved with. Um, last year, at the end of October, I went on a six-week trip so the whole month of November and a little bit into December, which included a trip to, Af- uh, to India, Nepal and to, um, to Ghana, Africa. So I've got some clips of that. So in this clip, you're going to see, uh, start off in India and you'll see a leadership school that I was part of and all the people in that, uh, people who, or most of them, not all of them, but most of them are people that have got saved through the CRC work and the churches that we've planted and now part of our leadership team. Uh, you'll hear a little testimony of one of our um, girls who's part of our Bible school that we've started in the town of Infal, which is right on the India-Myanmar border. Um, and we've got our first lot of students that are going to graduate from that, 12 of them um, in June. Oh, sorry, for, sorry, first week of July, we've just shifted the graduation. Um, and some of them want to be missionaries into Myanmar, so we're very excited about that. Um, all 12 of them want to join CRC, so, um, which is very exciting, but that's another $12,000 at least that we need to add to our budget to actually support each one of them. So we're just working through that. Um, and then you'll see some stuff from Nepal, and um, where I went over to Nepal with Pastor Lyle Willis. I don't know if you know him from Murray Bridge. Um, he was with me in Nepal. And just last two weeks ago, we started a Bible school there in Nepal for our very first CRC work and initiative in, in um, Nepal. So we started a Bible school for, for 10 basically pastors. And then there's six pastors, three elders, and uh, one very young girl who decided to come. And they said, you're not a leader, but they let her in anyway. So that's very good. So, um, so that's just started. So very excited about that. It's a three-month school that these pastors are coming to. And um, then you'll see some, some of my trip in, into Ghana where we have a, um, a Bible school there uh, where we're partnering with a man by the name of John Botan. I don't know if you've had him come and preach here um, from Ghana. And he, um, so we're partnering with him to help train workers for him. He has about 11, 12 churches that he has started, but he needs workers. So we're just helping him by running a Bible school for him so that he can um, have more workers that are trained and equipped to to do the work of ministry and continue to expand. So we encouraged him to stop planning churches and start training some people to actually lead them because you're overstretching yourself because you don't have the manpower. He's a passionate evangelist and pioneer, but just didn't have the manpower to follow it up. So we've just um, encouraging him with that. So I'll show you a few of these. You have a look at these clips. I might say a few things as we go through because it's not all self-explanatory. So. So your money that you give towards my travel goes towards me doing those sorts of trips 
Um, and also I travel to the Philippines, Papua New Guinea, which I've just come from, also into, um, into Myanmar um, and different things. So very appreciative of your support. So as I go, I go representing um, the CRC, but also the Christian Family Centre churches as well, because I'm uh, yeah, grew up in the Christian Family Centre, grew up at Seton, was on staff there as a pastor for those who don't know me for many years before I went to Papua New Guinea as a missionary and now um, get to do what I do. So very enjoy what I'm doing. So let's have a look at um, the sermon for this morning. Turning point um, is what I want to talk about. Reaching, have you reached a point where you've actually said, I've got to make a change. Something's got to change. Turning biblical truth into a living reality. When I was down here on holidays, I was watching a bit of TV and um, had some Ashley and Martin ads. And I don't know if you've seen them. Uh, maybe some of them have motivated you to go and get some hair treatment done. But there, there was these ads of these young guys with these full heads of hair, but they were reflecting and saying things like, I got to a point and I looked in the mirror and I saw the balding, so I had to do something about it. Um, and if no criticism of anyone who is short on top and lacking hair on top. Love you. God loves you, but I'm not having a go. I'm not advertising Ashley and Martin. But um, one of them said, oh, my girlfriend finally said something to me about how old I was looking because I was losing my hair. Um, and they got to, said they got to this point where they did a turn. They had to turn. So we're talking about a turning point is there in your life. If we got to a point where things need to change. And um, a couple of months or late last year, um, I was down in the the Sunshine Coast um, with my son Benjamin and we were on a trip and we don't travel there very much and we were, went along the road and we took the wrong turn um, and they've got all these massive big highways and different roads and if you, you get onto one of them, um, there is no point to turn back. So you go kilometres and kilometres and kilometres in the, the wrong direction till you can finally get to a point to turn around and go back to actually where you want to be. Um, Sometimes in life we can get to that place. In our journey of following Christ or in just going through life, we're going along, but there comes a point where we think, man, is this what it is? Is this, what, is this the fullness of what following Christ is meant to be? And sometimes we can say, well, no, it's not. So it's ter- that, reaching that turning point. Have you reached your turning point today or are you at a place of reaching a turning point to say, no, I don't want to continue down this path anymore. There's got to be more to the Christian life. There's got to be more to it than this. In essence, I think of that sense of going, going deeper, which is your theme for, for this year. But So turning biblical truth into a living reality, because there is so much truth. You read the scriptures and the promises of the victory that we have, the blessing that is there, the fulfillment that is there, the freedom is there, but so often we live short of that. So turning that truth that is ours, the biblical truth, into a living reality so that we actually live the truths of who we are. So, so to do that, we're going to look at four, oh, sorry, three stories of three ladies who reached a turning point and turned things around. Things changed for them. So in all of this, I realised that being intentional makes a difference. This is the story of the lady who had the 12-year-long bleeding problem. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been to the doctor. She'd done everything she could to get healed or to get medical treatment and nothing had changed. So she, she hears about Jesus. She says, this man can heal me. This man can be my turning point. This man, he can do something for me. So he put, she pushes through the crowd and she gets to the point, and this was just a couple of verses before, 
She gets to the point of saying, if I just touch his, the hem of his garment, if I just touch him, that's going to be the turning point for my life. She realized the truths of who Jesus Christ was, that he was a miracle worker, that he could make a difference in her life. So she got to that place. If I just put out my hand by faith and touch him, a miracle is going to happen. She wanted to do it all discreetly, didn't want anybody to know. And then Jesus says, she touches him and then she, he says to the disciples, who touched me? And Peter's response is, Jesus, who touched you? Touched you? We all touched you. You're in the crowd. I touched you. John touched you. Andrew touched you. Everybody touched you. What do you mean, who touched you, Jesus? You were bumped. Everybody here. There's such a large crowd. We've all touched you. But none of them got a miracle. This lady touched Jesus differently. It was a turning point for her. It went from this Jesus out there who can heal to a Jesus who actually healed her. And so it's Luke 8 verse 46, but, but Jesus told him, no, someone deliberately touched me, intentionally, deliberately, touched me with purpose. They wanted a turning point. They wanted things to change. They weren't happy for things, the status quo. She wasn't happy for things just to continue on. He said, I, someone touched me because I felt power go out of me. If we want a turning point, we want things to be different in life, it's that hand of faith, just like this woman saying, I want to touch Jesus, but I want to touch him deliberately and intentionally, touching him with purpose. And maybe today, you need to be like this lady and just throw out your hand. Say, Jesus, I want to touch you in a different way. I don't want to just touch, touch, touch. I've been around you, but things are not changing. For this lady, she touched with intention, she touched deliberately, and there was a change that took place in her. Um, being intentional makes a difference. In Acts 2, verse 23, we talk, we're talking about the intention of God. This man was ho- handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. That's the Apostle Peter te- preaching to the big crowd. But he says, you guys tried to kill him, but you thought you had a plan. But actually God had a deliberate plan. It was God's plan. Which then it goes on to talk about the salvation that you and I received through God's intentional plan of allowing his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. So being intentional makes all the difference. Jesus coming to the cross wasn't an accident. It was God's intentional, deliberate plan, which I'm so grateful for because it's made such a difference in my life. At 13 years of age at the Christian Family Centre at Seton, I gave my life to Jesus. I made a choice. I said, I, I want things to turn for me. I'd grown up in church. My mum and dad were, were great Christian people, but I came to a point and said, God, I want to be part of your family. I was a young man and I'd struggled with isolation. I'd grown up in the bush, came to a city that was bigger than, um, come to the city, went to a school that was bigger than um, the whole community, the number of people that lived in the community I grew up in. So I struggled with insecurity and fears and doubts. But I thank God that as I reached out my hand and touched him, that he adopted me into his family. And changed me, accepted me in. It wasn't some radical change for me. I was a good kid. It wasn't some sort of, um, I went from being a rebellious, drug-taking, um, uh, alcoholic or anything like that, and then turning to Christ. But for me, it was such a significant moment of being realising that I've been included into his family. As I just reached out and touched Christ with de- deliberately. So 
turning biblical truth into a living reality. And as, as I thought about this, I thought of the story of Ian Miller, Pastor Ian Miller. Many of you will know him. Um, I was a young pastor at the Christian Family Centre and he was still on staff there before he went to Sydney. Um, and I just think about his journey into the supernatural. And now he does a lot of praying for the sick and on the street seeing miracles take place and um, lots of healings and operating of the gifts and all those sorts of things. And um, But as you listen to him speak and share his journey, there was a point where he actually came to a place of saying, well, I know the truth because I'd heard him preach it, but he said, I knew all the truth, but I actually had to deliberately, intentionally step into the truth of the miracle working power of God. So before he believed it all, because I'd heard him teach it and preach it at Seton. Um, But something happened where he was deliberately expecting, deliberately wanting to see more miracles and more of the supernatural in his life and the life of his church in Hornsby. Um, So he made a conscious choice. I want something to be different. The Bible promises me that I can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. And he'd done it before and seen people healed. But he wanted more of it. He wanted a greater expectation of it, a great, greater, sorry, greater manifestation of it on a daily basis and then on a weekly basis in the life of their church. So he took steps towards it, to reaching out and touching Jesus. So it was an intentional choice that he made to move in that direction, to say, well, I want my church to be like the book of Acts. I want my reality to be what is there, what is promised me in the scriptures. If you also, if you read Pastor Bill's book, um, The Me I Can Be, there's a couple of passages in there in the early part of it where he talks about how when he got saved in these early years of being a Christian that he spent hours and hours and hours studying the scriptures and getting hold of the new creation message. That it wasn't something out there that it was a, a biblical truth, that he actually spent hours reading it and studying it until it became part of his mind and part of his heart and it had become an internal thing for him. And it took hours. It was intentional. It was deliberate by him. Studying all the promises that were his in Christ. Studying the word of God. But he made a deliberate choice. So for you and I, that turning point can be, okay, I'm going to make a deliberate choice to take hold of all the promises that are mine, memorizing them, taking them on so they become part of me. Watchman Nee, in his book, A Balanced Christian Life, um, has a chapter which talks about object and subject. Some of you have probably read that book and read the sub, read it. Um, but he talks about the object being all the truths of Scripture. In fact, all the things that Christ has done for us. And he says that, that actually the Holy Spirit then makes them our experience and our subject. The work of the Holy Spirit, bringing it across from being something out there to being something that is internalized and part of who we are and it's a part of our everyday life experience. He uses the illustration of it being like a bird. I said a one-winged bird will never fly. We need a two-winged bird, which both has the object and the subject, has the truth and the experience. And when we've got both of those, we actually have the fullness of what we we have in Christ and we can fly into that. So it's like trying to drive a train on a one, one track. If you take away one track, a train is heading for disaster. But you need both tracks. You need the truth the biblical truths, but also the experience of those through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So being intentional. Then there's another story of another lady. Her name's Hannah. And um, Hannah has a turning point. 
She goes from being absolutely overwhelmed and devastated and not eating and crying and an absolute mess personally, I think internally, uh, her husband can see it, people around her can see it, to being happy, joyful and the Lord answering her prayer. Hannah, there's some cultural things here, so um, she's she, her husband, uh, she's wife number one, she has another, she, her husband has another a wife, so she's uh, in a marriage where there's another, another lady on the scene who's having children, Hannah can't have children, and the other wife is, gives her grief, torments her, year after year after year, saying, you can't have children. And at that time in scripture and their way of thinking was if a woman couldn't have children, it really affected her identity and her value. I don't accept that as what the Bible teaches today, um, but that was the cultural mindset. So she was grasp, grappling with this grief of that I don't, cannot provide children for my husband, so which then impacted her identity and her value. So then her husband smart man that he is, says, why are you crying, Hannah? He's a bit thick, this husband. Maybe some of us fellas are like this as well. He says, and then he asks her this, knowing the years and years of torment and the fact that she, she's in grief, she says, why, are you, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? And then he says, you have me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Got me? What's your problem? <laughs> um, isn't that better than 10 sons? He's pretty confident, isn't he? <laughs> In his love for her and what he can provide for her. Stupid fella. Sometimes us men, we put our foot in it, don't we? We say unnecessary things at unnecessary times. Should just keep our mouths shut sometimes. Sandra keeps telling me, I don't want you to fix my problems. Just let me talk to you. You don't have to come up with an answer for everything. Anyway, he wants to come up with an answer. It says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to prayer. So she's in grief. Her husband's not making things better for her. He's probably making them worse, making her feel worse. She's, after they've had their sacrificial meal at Shiloh, they've gone there for their sacrifice. They would do this year after year after year. Um, it's interesting that her religious activity didn't bring change. Her religious activity didn't bring a turnaround in her life. And we need to be so careful that we don't just become religious in our activity and think, oh, just our religious activity will keep things going. No, we want to turn around. We want something to be different. We need to follow Hannah's example. She got up and went to prayer. She took action. She moved. She said, I'm not happy with this just to stay the way it is. I'm not just happy with staying in religious activity. I want to move to a place. And she moves into a place of faith. She goes to pray. It says, Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. So the priest is there. She goes in to pray. She's saying, I want something to be different. She's reached her turning point. She's had enough of it. Years and years of it. She says, something's got to change. So she goes to pray. She's hungry. She's got a desire. She wants things to turn around. Hannah was deeply uh, in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. So she's pouring out her heart to the Lord. Have you reached that point in your life where you've actually come in, Lord, things have got to change. I'm not satisfied with the way things are. I want things to turn around. I want things to be different. 
I see what the scriptures say about what the Christian life should be and how it, you talk about it there, and it's not my reality. I want it to be different. She didn't want to carry this anguish anymore. Then she prays and she makes a vow to the Lord. She makes a commitment to, to, to the Lord. If she has a child, she'll give it back to the Lord. And she makes these commitments and these vows to the Lord. And then... <clears throat> Then Eli the priest says, "Why, lady, why are you, why are you here? You've been drinking. You're drunk because he could see her praying, but there was no sound coming out. She said, "You're just a drunkard, lady. Get out of the tabernacle. You shouldn't be here." And he says, "Oh no, sir," she says. "I haven't been drinking wine or something stronger, but I'm very discouraged, and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord." When was the last time you poured out your heart to the Lord? Well, you just poured it out. It's interesting, her response is that she's misunderstood right there. I think if she'd respond with anger towards this priest, he should have known better. He should have been perceptive. He should have discerned what was going on. But she, he judges her, this priest who, whose family, his sons are wild, they're wicked, they're totally out of control. The next chapter tells us all about the rebellion that he's got within his own family. Um, is trying to correct this lady. What a hypocrite. He's trying to correct this lady, but his own children are running amok. Not the fact that they're his children, but they're actually priests in the temple that he's not even correcting them and holding up and honouring the things of God. And this lady who's desperate, he shows no compassion towards her. But she doesn't respond in anger. She just says, look, I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. I want God to hear me. Then Eli says to her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may the servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So the, all, the prophet, all the priest says is, may you get what you've been asking for. And it changed her. That was her turning point. And I've, my feel as I reflect on that, she hasn't got her child yet. She hasn't had her prayer answered yet. But she went from anguish to being her face not being downcast and her eating again. And I think something happened in her. My feel is that she actually worked out, yeah, God hears me. I'm close to God. My favor is upon, God's favor is upon me. And whether I get a child or don't get a child, I think her anguish was gone. That she'd actually worked out that her identity was not caught up in having a child. Her identity was then linked to being... For you and me, our identity is linked to being a child of God. And I think she heard that and felt that and realized God heard her prayers. Then she goes away and she does have a child and then she gives that child, Samuel, back to the temple. But something happened right there because she got on her face before the Lord. She said, I'm not satisfied with allowing things to just continue the way they are. I'm not happy with the status quo. I want things to turn around. So she got on her face before the Lord and prayed. But she took action. She didn't stay stationary. She moved from just going through the normal religious activities which she'd done year after year after year that had not brought an answer. <clears throat> Tim Keller, I'll let you read this quote yourselves. Um, it's talking about rich in Christ yet living poor. This is really what I'm trying to say. He, he captures it so, so well. That there's so much that is ours inside of Christ, but so often we live so far below 
what is ours. Talks about being adopted and having divine life in the Holy Spirit and being loved and accepted by Christ and that all things, all these things we kind of understand at one level and we try and grasp them. Yet we're still dogged by bad habits and often anxious or bored or discouraged or angry or whatever your turning point, whatever the thing is for you. And, you know, we, we face issues in life and different problems and there's, the scriptures are full of ways that we can deal with those and um, it's by very specific means and purposes, um, ways within the scriptures through, you know, prayer and um, bi- biblical habits and generosity and joy and there's all sorts of things there that we need to step into. But he goes on, the last sentence says, yet the root problem of them all is that you are rich in Christ, nevertheless living poor. What a challenge. And I'm not saying that pointing the finger. I'm saying that looking at my own life. Do I really live in the fullness of the richness that is mine in Jesus Christ? All that is mine, healing, blessing, favour, righteousness, freedom, joy, patience, they're all mine. But so often I live with, what does he say? Bad habits, anxiety, boredom, discouragement. Boredom's a good one for me. I get bored very quickly. Um, Discouragement, anger. We live so far below what is ours in Christ so often, isn't it? We live poor. Hannah had been living poor. But she went to a turning point and she got rich. Ah, no, things turned around for her. One last story before we come to a close. It's a story in Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. And uh, many of you know the story. It's the story of a, a lady who comes to Simon's house. Simon is a religious leader. He's an he's a upright man. He's a religious man. And uh, this woman who he looks down on and calls her a sinful lady, she's wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. She's kissing Jesus' feet. She's wiping Jesus' feet with her, her hair. And then she anoints Jesus with a, um, with a jar of perfume. And she's just overwhelmed with love for him and expressing that. And then you got Simon, who's an absolute contrast to that. Simon re- criticizes her, and then Jesus does a little, little story and traps him into getting him to realize and get the point. And he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. You did not wet my feet with your. But, but, sorry, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Simon was living poor. He had Jesus in the house. He knew all the scriptures. He knew all the prophecies. But Jesus Christ, God is in his house and he's still living poor. Jesus turned up for a meal in his very home and his religious systems and structures, he put his trust in those and wasn't able to see the truth of who Jesus Christ was because it disrupted his lifestyle. It would have disrupted too much of who he was. His religious 
activity. Would have been upset by letting go of that and embracing Jesus Christ. He lacked affection for Christ. Jesus is in his home and he doesn't even do what would be standard and normal practice if you had someone of honour or respect coming to your house. Jesus pointed out those things and he's not having a go at Simon more than saying, well, this was even normal in your culture and you didn't even do these things. And he says, look at this lady, this sinful lady, living rich, probably poor, destitute, maybe a prostitute, um, but she's now living rich because she's realised what Christ has done for her, the forgiveness that is hers in Jesus Christ. So she's received grace, love and affection from Christ and now she wants to just show that back to him, pour out her love back to him. Christ's forgiveness had truly become a reality to her, powerfully changing her life. And her her natural response to that was just to go over the top in her worship. She'd experienced it. She'd internalised it. The Holy Spirit had turned things around. She says, I can't do anything but worship Jesus. I don't care what these other men are criticising me. I don't care about the cost of this alabaster jar. In another story, not this specific one, but another story, we get the picture that that could have been a, a year's wages that she's just poured onto Jesus' feet. I don't know how much you earn. 80,000, 100,000, 120,000. I don't know what you earn. Maybe 50,000. Maybe those of you on a pension is more like 25,000 or whatever. You, but whatever it is, she's poured a year's salary onto the feet of Jesus. That's extravagant worship because it's gone from this objective biblical truth to something that has become so personal for her. She's internalized it. And the Holy Spirit's taken that and made it a reality for her. So my encouragement for each one of us today is to really take those biblical truths. And if you've reached a turning point, take those biblical truths and allow them to become a living reality. Follow the example of that lady, the first lady we talked about with the bleeding problem, who put out a hand in faith and said, I'm not happy for things to just go along as normal. I want something to change. So by faith, she reached out and touched Jesus. Not touching him like everybody else touched him, but a deliberate, intentional touch. Maybe you need to be like Hannah, who year after year after year had gone through the religious activities, hoping for something to change, but she said, no, this time I want something to be different. I need to go deeper. I need to get desperate. I need to pour out my anxiety and my anxiousness and all my, my, my agony to Christ. And let him carry it. In Isaiah 53, there's a prophecy of Christ which talks about him being being crushed for our iniquities and dying on the cross so we could, um, and carrying our infirmities so that we could receive salvation. But one of the lines in there, it also talks about Jesus being a man of sorrows and actually also carrying our sorrows so that he actually meets, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ meets our emotional needs as well. So maybe you need to be like Hannah and say, no, enough's enough. I need to see a turnaround here. I encourage you to be like this woman, this sinful woman who extravagantly worshipped Jesus because the, the truths of who he was and what he could do for her had become internalised and become a living reality to her and her natural response is, I've got to worship. 
I've got to worship him. I've got to give him my all. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I'm going to get ready to sing. So I just ask you, have you reached a turning point? You reached a place where I say, oh, I want things to change. Maybe it lines up with your theme of going deeper. I want to go deeper. I'm not satisfied with things staying the way they are. I need to follow the example of Ian Miller who said, no, I'm not happy with just having a miracle here and there. I want to push in deeper into the supernatural. Or Pastor Bill who said when in his early days as a Christian just spent hour after hour consuming the word and understanding of who he was in Christ so it became internalised for him and life-transforming. Now you hear him preach and all he preaches about the new creation message because it's just penetrated every era of his life. So let's pray and then we'll sing some songs. Jesus, I just thank you that you are here today. And Lord, I thank you that you allow us and bring us to a turn, come to a point in our life where we, you want us to turn around, where you want us to go deeper with you and to step out from it being something objective or some biblical truth out there that it becomes an internal reality. And Father, I pray you give us all the hunger that Hannah had, that commitment that she had to say, I want to pray, I want to take hold of God until I get my answer. Lord, that we would be like the woman who just extravagantly worshipped you and gave her all because of her just her great love for you because she realised how much you'd done for her. So, Father, I just pray by your Holy Spirit, you just minister to each one of us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing some songs. I want to open up the front and if you're at a place where you're saying, no, I want to, I'm at a turning point, you don't have to tell anybody what it's about. This is between you and the Lord. And maybe for you, your first step of faith is to actually come and say, I just want to come and stand down the front. Just have someone pray for me. You can share as much or as little as you want. If you just want someone to pray, just tell them, just pray for me. I've reached a turning point. I want, I've got an area in my life where I want something to change. Then I invite you to come. Also, the first story we talked about was a healing story. I believe that Jesus still heals. And last Wednesday night, we had a healing service at Bethel Centre in Papua New Guinea. Had a number of people with just long-term issues that they just accepted and lived with and just gone around limping and had a bad back or headaches, which they'd had for, for many months. And they just carried it and said, oh, yeah. But they actually, by faith, stepped down and said, no, I want something different. We had many of those um, of our staff and our congregation members receive a miracle, a healing that day. Because they said, no, I'm going to step out. I want to move. So if you're sick or in pain, we'd also love to pray with you and believe with you that um, healing is yours in Jesus Christ. And if you've been prayed for many times before, love to pray with you again. Um, and not to let that dis- discourage you from saying, no, I'm really believing for this thing to move. I don't want to carry this anymore. So um, love to pray with you. Just feel someone with issues in their right hand. So if I just the Holy Spirit prompting me that if you've got pain and issues in your hand, um, joint aches, finger aches, or something there in your right arm, right hand. I'd love to pray with you as well. Um, someone with an eye issue. You've got eye issues with your eyes. Um, love to pray with you as well as we we um, we sing. So let's sing together. If you'd like it, like myself or one of the prayer team to pray with you, let's just come down the front quickly and we'll have a time of ministry. Thank you, Jesus.
it's so wonderful to know that the Holy Spirit is at work. I don't know if you felt this, but the, the sense and the words that Jeremy's brought us this morning has been, been really what's on our hearts as a church, as we're intentional, as we want to go deeper, as we want to pour out our hearts. We want to worship Him more fully, more wonderfully. Um, and I'm just so thankful for, for the way Jeremy's just brought that out of Scripture for us this morning. But I'm believing this morning that that's, that's not it, that there is more. Um, and so what I'm going to just encourage us to do is as we're just going to sing that again. Um, and as we sing it again, if you feel like you want to leave and uh, head out to morning tea, feel free to do that. I'm just going to pray and we'll, we'll, we'll end the service. But if you just want to linger a bit longer, uh, if, if there's anyone here who's um, sensing that there's a turning point in your life, I'm really believing that there's someone who uh, is going to really respond to that sense of uh, the woman who just poured out her tears and her hair upon Jesus' feet and that she lived in the richness. Uh, she experienced the richness of relationship. And you're hungry for that richness. You relate to perhaps the lady who is poor, who has come from a, a background that's different. Uh, but you're here and you're hearing the words of wanting the richness, not in, in monetary terms, but in blessing, in life. Uh, there's the fullness of life that is yours uh, and it is yours for the taking. Uh, and all you need to do is just reach out to Jesus who is here. And you are relating to that woman you're wanting that life. It is appealing. It is something that you desire and yet you don't have it yet. Uh, if that's you, um, I really encourage you just to seek someone out. Uh, have them pray for you. Or perhaps you're just in, in the moment now as we sing again, just to, in your heart, just reach out to Him. Just ask Him to fill you with His Spirit and that you would know that richness in your life. So... Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way that you've spoken to us. Thank you for the way that you're constantly moving uh, in this place as we're desiring to go deeper in the things of God. And Lord, we just pray that everyone be blessed this morning as they leave this space, that they'd go into their workplaces uh, encouraged and built up to live out the faith uh, that you've put in their heart. And uh, Lord, that we'd go from strength to strength uh, as we go from this place this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can head out if you feel like that, if you wanted to stay and linger, if you want to come down the front uh, and, and just have some prayer uh, as people leave, feel free to do that.